Looking for silver linings when bad things happen isn't truly a naive thing to do because every hardship is a blessing in disguise if you allow it to be. You're listening to Unsweet and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode 20 of season two. In today's episode, we speak to Hussein Mujaddidi about how to find the blessings in our hardships, how to deal with desires and temptations, and ways to stay God conscious. Hey, it's Danielle and Zaina, and welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success. We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise. Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry, and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into season two of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. You guys, it's been one month since we've celebrated Eid, since we've had a Ramadan in quarantine. Definitely one to remember. This is one that we've discussed so often. And of course, a lot has happened since, you know, we celebrated Eid. A lot has happened in the last month or so. And we have talked about this with incredible women such as Namaz and Jael. And I feel like our faith as Muslimin truly plays a role in what's going on in this world and how we can stand up against injustice. And this is basically a one month check-in and where we're, what we're doing spiritually, how we feel spiritually what habits have we kept going after Ramadan has been long and gone and that's why I feel like this episode this week is so fitting because we talked to Hussein Mujaddadi and we talked to her about the nafs and how to deal with the nafs how to maintain our nafs and a lot of people don't really know what the nafs is or what it really does and controls you know that's why I was confused about because I was like okay this is a conversation that's much needed because I've always heard that the nafs can be something that kind of distances you from Allah but then I'm like how if it's part of me isn't the nafs kind of my soul you guys we dive really deep into this we really explain it um it's basically a one-on-one class on how to purify your heart how to deal with your nafs and how there's levels to your nafs and i think some of us sometimes we wake up like a year later and we look at ourselves and we and we wonder how did we get so distant from allah how did we stop praying on time how do we stop making du'a? you guys this doesn't happen overnight so i think conversations like these are really important to be able to hold us accountable to be able to see what we can do and change about our daily lives that can better us and bring us closer to Allah but this conversation was much needed and I know like everybody had a had a their own viewpoints on Ramadan for me it was very beneficial what about you Zaina how was it was I feel like this Ramadan was a little easier for me even though I was still working out just coming home and having that downtime where I was completely just by myself really gave me time to reflect and and strengthen that connection with Allah where do you feel like you are now that we're like a month off from Eid since since it's been a month that we celebrated Eid I'm not exactly where I was during Ramadan but I'm not too distant you know what I mean there's still that room where I can improve and get better and get back to that place but I feel like it's it so much has happened in a month where I kind of feel like 
I need to reprioritize what I find important in my life. Exactly. No, it does because that's how I feel. Like I've held on to maybe a habit or two that I've done in Ramadan, but it's not who I was in Ramadan. Mm -hmm. I felt obviously in Ramadan, you're much more connected, but it's conversations like these that, you know, can kind of like push us and motivate us again. And that's what we need. So inshallah, we can continue to have these check-ins. Maybe they're not going to be on a monthly basis, but we'll still have them. Um, But I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. Make sure you stay after for our afterthoughts. We love to just talk a little bit further about what we just spoke about and what we discussed with our incredible guest, Hassan. But are you ready to dive in, Zena? Let's do it. Thank you so much, Hussai, for joining us. Honestly, it's an honor to have somebody like you. There is just so much to talk about, specifically with the nafs. I feel like this is a topic that, you know, it's a great area for a lot of us. So it's hard for us to understand what is our nafs. Is it good? Is it bad? And whatnot. But can you please just introduce yourself and then we can get right into the topic at hand? Sure. Assalamu alaikum, dunya and Zainet. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you guys today. Alhamdulillah. I'm Hosaya Majadidi. I'm a mom of two boys. I live out in uh, California in the Bay Area. And I am an educator by profession. I also do mental health advocacy work and uh, spiritual. Uh, I, I focus. My focus is on spirituality. So emotional, social, social, emotional learning and spirituality. I have to say, when I came across your social media page and I was listening to your talks, it really moves me in a way that I felt like I was a different person after I listened to each video. And one of the topics that you touched upon was looking at our hardships as blessings. And for a lot of us, that's it's tough in the moment to see that as like, I am going through a hardship, I am going through something that's painful, but I know that there's something better out there, but it's hard to get into that mindset. It's true. In my, in my work, I've definitely encountered that with a lot of people that have come to you know speak with me. That, like you said, it's difficult to to try to make sense of that. How can I reconcile being in this difficult state or difficult you know, tribulation with, and then also have positive reaction towards that? And I think the response I always try to give people is: This is why it's so important to study the the history, you know, especially the stories of the prophets and the story of the stories of the saints, because when you see that the people who are closest to God are tested in really difficult ways, it should uh, do exactly what those stories are supposed to do, which is remind you that God tests those he loves the most and that there are positive, uh, you know, there's a talk, for example, that I reference uh, to a lot of people called the 17 Benefits of Tribulation by Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. This is a talk that has healed a lot of broken hearts because our scholars took the, you know, they went in to, and they tried to really help people understand that in the tribulations are blessings and there's silver linings, there's lessons, there's growth. You know, I've been through a lot of personal challenges myself and I feel every uh, time I've come out of those things, I have come out stronger and I've been uh, able to actually heal and help other people. And we see this with, you know, other people too. How many great things have come because people have been tested in really impossible or difficult challenges, but then they've emerged, right, with a purpose, with something that compels them to do good. So those are just, you know, a few little uh, things, uh, benefits, but we could go on about that. So 
Absolutely, because I think a lot of times we equate hardships with as a punishment from Allah. It takes time for you to realize that it's not a punishment, it's a blessing in disguise. And we say this almost every episode, Zaina, because obviously we do talk about, you know, struggles within our community and whatnot. And obviously when you talk about struggles, you talk about hardships. And that's the first thing you think of is like, why is Allah punishing me? And I feel like all this stuff kind of, you know, intertwines with our nafs, our desires, the shaitan, the worldly things, and the hereafter. But something that you told me, and it was so profound over the phone and I it, it, I never understood it or I never seen it that way but when we pray a staccata prayer can we talk about that and you said how you know some people you know a lot of us when we pay a staccata we assume that only good things like only blessings will come out of a staccata which they do but a staccata can also you know form in different ways in your life can we talk about that Absolutely. So before I jump right into Sahara, I think there's something else we should first uh, understand, which is that there are four sources or inspirations of uh, our thoughts, and they're called the khawatir. And we should all, everybody should know what they are because, you know, we're, we're bombarded with upwards of 80,000 thoughts per day. And if you're not, you know, paying attention to where the sources of those thoughts are, you can definitely become overwhelmed yes. and start to believe certain things that aren't true. So we have in our uh, tradition, four sources, and those are Khawatir Rabbani, which are, you know, thoughts or inspirations from Allah Subh'ata directly. Khawatir Malikani, which are from the angels. We know there's an unseen world, the angelic presence is with us. We have Khawatir Nafsani, which is from the nafs, from our own thoughts, our own you know memories, all of the things we've been conditioned to think. And then Khawatir Shaitani, which are the waswasa, the whispers of Iblis. So when people, yes, deduce certain things that like this is a punishment for me, I'm not loved. I had someone just recently send me a message. I feel like God doesn't love me because they're going through a really difficult time. These are what we call definitely waswasa from Shaitan because that's his main objective, which is to completely destroy our trust in God and this is how he does it but once we understand that okay we have four different sources now how can we distinguish the four well the istikhara would fall under the uh, the Rabbani right the Khawatir Rabbani which are from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because when we pray to Allah we're asking him to uh, istikhara specifically to guide us towards that which is best for us right the, the words of the prayer are very important to pay attention to and we're saying to put distance between us right uh, if it's harmful to, for us in dunya and akhirah. So when you make that type of a sincere dua, you have to understand that now what you're doing is you're deferring to the knowledge of God, to the wisdom of God, to determine what is in your best interest and what is not, right? And so if something is in your best interest, that can come out, as you said, in a multitude of ways. It's not necessarily going to be that it's the most joyful, amazing experience for you, and that it's blissful, and that it's everything you thought it was going to be. It could be that going through that situation, you come out a better person. So in fact, your istikhara was answered. So this is how, again, without that lack of clarity, shaitan can manipulate. Spiritual manipulation is real, right? He he can manipulate a person to think, well, I did everything right. I was, you know, I preserved, let's say, for example, marriage. I've heard from so many people when it, it comes to a marital context. I did everything right. I had a halal relationship. I didn't do anything haram. I, you know, I did this. I prayed this tahara. Why did I end up in an uh, abusive relationship? And so they can't reconcile how that can happen. Well, if in that, you know, relationship, 
you grew closer to Allah. You, you realized that this world is actually a place that is not, you know, uh, where you shouldn't have too many expectations. And you start to grow in your understanding that it is that it's a place of tribulation and that we want to leave that, you know, the Prophet told us you're, we're, we're travelers in this world. We don't set up camp here for a permanent residence. You know, we're just, we're, we're, we're moving through this uh, world to the next world life, which is the permanent residence. So if you have that understanding and even though you suffered in those years or months or however long you were in that relationship, is that not uh, worth what you went through? Because there are people who live lifetimes and they don't have that understanding. They live up to 80, 90, 100 years old and they don't have that clarity or that nearness to God, right? Wow, that's so profound. I've never heard anyone explain that. And I think it's it's really eye-opening when you see that because you do ask yourself sometimes when you're at your lowest, like, why am I going through this? You don't see it as, okay, this is Allah's way of bringing me closer to Him. This is Allah's way of guiding me on the path that I'm supposed to be on. And it's just, it's I, I'm just uh, stunned by that. It's how everything is worded because look, you said, Hasai, it's, it's what Allah, you're asking Allah, what is best for me? Don't give me everything that's going to make me happy, but what is best for me? And at that point, whenever, whatever hardship Allah you know gave to you that's what you needed at that point and i call these hardships reality checks and they come in different degrees and wherever you are in your iman that's how what degree your hardship is going to be at and it doesn't mean that allah doesn't love you actually it's the opposite it's the total opposite allah truly does love you and i think we forget oftentimes that our creator never moved an inch away from us it's us who distance ourselves from our creator so it's like you have to ask yourself what can i change with throughout my day throughout my daily routine to bring me closer to allah it's not what does allah have to change it's what you have to change about yourself and your daily routines and how you're living your life. And I feel like a lot of us, you know, Ramadan was just such a beautiful time this year. This was a, a Ramadan none of us have experienced ever before. This is the first time we've all experienced this in a way and, you know, together. And I feel like a majority of us, I don't want to speak generally, but majority of us felt very peaceful, very felt at ease, felt like this was their best Ramadan. So we're at this spiritual high. And why? I don't know why, but when the Eid comes, our spiritual high just crashes. It almost kind of, maybe not crashes, but slowly declines. What can we do to fill this void? Because we do feel this void once Ramadan is gone. It's, it, it departed out of our lives. There's this void that now is within our hearts. What can we do to fill it with the presence of Allah? It's a wonderful question. Mashallah, you covered so many important points for all of us to reflect on. Allah bless you. Uh, but I think, you know, there's certain things that we have to have, like, you know, for example, in, in our world, we understand that there's universal laws, right, that everybody appreciates, right? And we all, nobody argues with the law of gravity, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, for example, right, because we know it's a truth. Well, there's certain tr truths that we also have to really firm, be firm in our belief about with the way that the, the system or the design element of this world is, right? And so, as you said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is uh, fixed in terms of His accessibility, right? He's He doesn't close the door on anybody. He reminds us repeatedly that even if you've sinned, you know, and your sins are as reach the sky or as much as the foam of the ocean, keep returning, keep returning, keep returning. So he's firm. It's, as you said, we're the ones who uh, tend to vacillate between belief and disbelief, weakness of faith and strength of faith. And we go up and down and up and down and up and down. And usually it's because Again, we're not paying attention to our stream of consciousness. We're not paying attention to what we are taking in. The vessel, the heart is like a vessel, right? You want to look at the heart like a container. And there's a beautiful quote from uh, Isa, Prophet Isa, when he was with a group of his disciples, he walked by a group of men and they began to curse at him. 
And he responded in prayer. And they and his disciples looked to him and they were puzzled, like, why are you responding in prayer to these people who cursed at you? And he said, a vessel only pours out what it contains. So if you look at yourself and your heart as a, a vessel, then what you do is you say, I am going to be very careful with what I put into this vessel. And therefore, the information, the, the thoughts, the whatever I'm consuming, whether it's television, music, messages from scholars and opinion people, you know, pundits, there's a lot of people with opinions these days, you know, a lot of people who think, you know, that they, they're gurus and they have all this insight, but we have to be very careful about how, what we take in, because if we're not uh, attaching our hearts to the the truth of our faith, of what the Prophet has taught us and of, of what is in the Quran, then we'll get sidetracked and pulled this way and that way and this way, and that just confuses you. And then you end up having, like you said, these highs and peaks, whether it's Ramadan or outside of Ramadan, people go through different challenges in life, but it, a lot of it's because this, the, the constant, you know, isn't there in terms of what are you feeding you know, your heart? What are you giving your heart? Are you pulling from too many places? And are those places, are you vetting those sources? Or do you even know where these people are getting their ideas? And, uh, you know, that's why I, I, you know, the company matters who you spend your time with. You know, you got to be very careful if you uh, want to keep maintain your spiritual growth, surround yourself by people who uplift you, who motivate you, who remind you that you are that you have the potential to be great. Because there's some people who, unfortunately, with their limited understanding, they uh, they they put limitations on people around them. You know, they will tell you, "Oh, you haven't learned this. You don't know anything. You haven't studied here and there. You're you know you should just stay in your lane." And very arrogant, right? Yeah. Messages. But access to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and spirituality. Like the awliya of Allah are not uh, necessarily the most educated and knowledgeable of people. They can be sometimes the most simple people who have hearts of pure gold because they've spent so much time taking in the good and, you know, filtering out the bad. So I think we need to really go back to that restorative process of saying, what am I putting into this vessel of mine? And if there's uh, fluctuations that are happening in my faith, it's likely because I'm putting in things that are harmful to me. And that's why purification of the heart is so important to constantly go back to cleansing the heart. That's such an important lesson. I think a lot of people will walk away from this episode learning. It's kind of like you wouldn't put unhealthy junk food in your body constantly because it's going to make you sick. The same thing with your heart. You need to feed it the healthy stuff in order for you to have that healthy relationship with the world and with Allah. And I, I think that's such an incredible, I love how you explain that. Yeah, I think a lot of times, you know, we're stagnant in our growth, I mean, not stagnant in our growth, but I think we expect things to come to us, but we don't understand that we have to take accountability and we have to do the work. That's the first step is your heart yearning for it to be filled with goodness, for it to be filled with all the presence of Allah. Like that's, that's a good sign. That's a sure sign that you, you don't have a dead heart. Your heart just is a little bit sick at the moment. How can you aid it? What can you do? So you have to take accountability for what you have to do. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, sit there we'll watch a lecture or two during Ramadan or whatnot and then that's it we end it there but you have to continue doing these things these are exercises daily exercises that you can do and you know it's in it's interesting because you talk about your conscious mind your unconscious mind mental chatter we actually had an episode
episode with Imam Mandawi and we covered that and subhanAllah how much it correlates with our faith and how important it is to stay focused, to keep a conscious mind because that's how you become a better Muslim. I mean, obviously when you're praying, when you're just praying in general, you're praying your five daily prayers, you want kashur in your prayers. So how can you do that? Is by, you know, silencing the mental chatter and whatnot. So everything goes hand in hand. But you know, with our nafs, that's something that I just was always, you know, just confused about. There was a gray area for me. There's just so much as I was doing research, I had even more questions as I was doing research. So I felt like Hussein is the one, you know, person that I feel like you can probably clear the air for some of these thoughts that I'm having because I feel like every single day we are dealing with temptations and desires. That's just a known fact. And how or what role does our nafs play within these, you know, temptations every day that we're dealing with? Sure, that's a great question. And, you know, again, to, uh, first, I mean, we have to understand what the nafs is, right? Because the, this term is used a lot. And sometimes it's confusing because it's like, wait, is it good or is it bad? You know, so yes. they're, they're used, it's often used interchangeably with terms like the ruh. And so people get confused. But just to kind of bring clarity, the nafs is a term that refers to the soul, like, you know, in a large sort of sense. But when we're speaking about spiritual diseases, we're talking really about the lower nafs, that that carnal, you know, uh, part of us that, you know, is all about base desires and appetites and feeding, uh, you know, uh, food, drink, sexual appetites, but also the one that gives into our emotion, like our irrational emotions. But think of, you know, uh, not necessarily maybe, a, you know, a beast or some other sort of uh, word that, that can, you can conjure that uh, that lives, that resides within all of us. We all have this nature that really needs to be suppressed because if it's not suppressed, it will overwhelm the other aspect of us, which is the ruh, right? Because we have the physical body, we have the ruh, which is always longing for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is uh, the part of us that I like to use again. I, I like visuals. So I like to think of if you've ever, you know, planted anything or, or grown a plant, you'll notice this is just sort of biology 101, I guess. But you'll notice that plants that when they are moved away from sunlight, they will turn because they need sun, right? So they're always turning to, for, towards the sun. So you want to look at your ruh like that. It's that part of you that no matter what you're doing, no matter, you know, if you're immersed in sin or not, it's always pulling you towards Allah's prana because that's what it longs for. So what we see in Ramadan is we see because we're depriving the nafs of the physical food that actually makes it powerful. Food and drink, I mean, these there's Imam al-Ghazali, many, many of our great scholars have talked about the connection between carnal appetites and spirituality, right? That if you feed yourself and you basically indulge in all of your appetites, you will weaken the ruh, that spiritual part of you, and you will strengthen your carnal lower self. So the that's why we see this uptick in Ramadan, because what we're doing is we're actually suppressing right the nafs we're not feeding it drink we're not feeding it food we're not uh you know giving it sexual desires and also we're limiting sleep because sleep is another uh, part of the nafs too so doing all that what happens subhanallah who gets to grow right the ruh starts to grow and it's it's shining and it's amazing and it's like oh my god i never thought i could be so accomplished and so you know successful and have all this progress and that's why you know we have to be so grateful because also that in his wisdom knows our weaknesses and that because we are created as, as somatic uh, beings, you know, we have feelings, we have, we can sense things, we have the five senses, we can smell, smell things, and we have all this experience that we are weak to uh, the material world. And so food, drink, all of these things, as you said, temptations, we just bunch them all in, are going to call to us constantly. But what I think Ramadan is, is it's this sort of wake-up call, like, just, you know, shakes, it's, it's shaking us to our core to remember there's another part of you that you cannot neglect 
and you have been neglecting it for 11 months. So now you need to go through a detox and let it shine. And you will see that. And I love it because you see, as I said, so many people not knowing or realizing their, their abilities or their you know, capacity to do as much as they do in Ramadan. Well, it's like Allah is showing you, I have confidence in you. And I want you to have confidence in yourself. So this is why this 30 days is is, is you ha- mandatory. You have to do it. It's very strict, you know, in terms of the rulings around it. But I think there's great wisdom in that. Because if you, you know, I said this the other day, if, if Allah made Ramadan where it was like you could do it on your own and we could all just kind of fast any month of the year and it was all uh, kind of all over the place, uh, or he, it was too liberal, right? The rules around it were too liberal. Like you could drink here. Or do, we wouldn't benefit from the experience of the shock, right, to our system. But it's the shock of our that really wakens us up and we start to suddenly realize like, subhanAllah, again, I can do so much more than I thought I could. And what was bogging me down was not my sins and my self-worth, because those are shaitanic thoughts, you know, to always remind you of your bad deeds and to make you feel like you're this taint, stained person. Those are just iblis. It's what's really bogs us a lot, a lot of all of us down spiritually is our inability to control the, the nafs. Once we control the nafs, you see growth. And that's why we have to empower people to know that all of us, we have the same access to our Lord. We have the same abilities. He, he's put us all with the same abilities and the same, as I said, access. So it's like you said, our initiative that's going to determine where we stand. Um, and I love that our dean is so, again, fair and, and has this, you know, sort of uh, equals, you know, equalizing message for everybody that we're all the same. We just have to rise and know our worth. It's like you kind of almost have to overcome a part of yourself, you know, and it's Absolutely. and the only this part of yourself, the only person that's feeding her is you really, when you really think about it, it's nobody else. It's not growing on its own. It's you that's making it grow. And it's like something that you have to really sit down with yourself and realize because I mean, all of us go through this tug of war every single day. We ask ourselves, can should we do this? Should we not? Should I say this to this person? Should I not say this to this person? Should I forgive? Should I? Look, there's a lot of questions and decisions that we make on a daily basis. And it's either you you make the right decision, which is a good decision, which, which makes you a good Muslim, or you're going to go on the path where you're going to feed into a part of your ego. And again, that's a whole different realm right there with the id, the ego. Oh, I was just yeah. about to mention that it's so crazy how subhanAllah, where you see the like the Western world kind of pick up on the things that have been mentioned in the Quran since the beginning. And that that gave me chills as you were describing it. Like it really is the id, ego and super ego. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah I forgot the But I wanted to go back and say like, next time anyone ever asks me, like any, you know, non-Muslim asks me like, why do you fast? I'm going to play that clip yeah. because I feel like that is such a beautiful explanation of it. You know, it's also interesting because I read that you really, you, you can't detach yourself from your nafs because it's mm-hmm. within you. You can't detach yourself from yourself. That's just not possible. But I also learned that there are, like many other things, there's levels to your nafs. And you touched upon that. Can we talk about the different levels? Sure, absolutely. So there's three different nafus that we describe in our tradition. The first is what we call nafs al-amara bisu. And this is the sinister self. It's the, the nafs that is completely away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, emerged in sin. So there's people walking around us everywhere. And this is, they've basically given up. They're slaves to their desires. They're slaves 
relates to their nafus, and so they uh, they fall into this category. The second one is what we would call the unsettled self, and this is nafs al-lawama, and this is uh, vacillating constantly between wanting to be good, as you said, and wanting you know, and falling into their temptation. This would be the majority of us fall into this. We're not quite where we should be, but we want to be. It's just constantly being pulled right back down. So this uh, it would again be the unsettled self, and then we have the submitted self, which is what we call the nafs al-mutma'inna, and this is the, the nafs that's at peace, it's at rest, it's completely devoted to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, it stays away from sin, it fears, it has immense taqwa, and uh, it really does hold itself accountable. So we all want to be in that category, right, of having such command of our nafs that we instruct it, it doesn't lord over us. And so this is the aim of our deen, tasqiyat al-nafs, when we go and study all of these diseases of the heart, the purpose of it is that, again, to tell every single one of us that we all have the potential to reach the nafs al-mutma'inna, but we're going to be compelled by our desires and will likely fall under lawama or amara bisu if we don't control the nafs. So it's such an important thing for people to understand. And again, what I love about our deen is that it's constantly empowering us, whereas Iblis, and this is how you know, for example, like some people will question, you know, how do you d distinguish between thoughts that are from the nafs and thoughts that are from Iblis? And we should know because it, it's not always, some people, you know, they think like, oh, I keep making the same sin. Oh, my nafs, there it goes again. Uh, or, or no, I'm sorry, it's shaitan, there, there he goes again. No, 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 no. You can't blame shaitan for something you've habituated to for five, six, seven years. That is your nafs. Your nafs is weak. Shaitan is not interested in repeating to you to do the same thing. He wants to elevate you to the worser sin. So what he'll do is he'll make you, get, you know, go escalate your sin. So that if you're, for example, uh, smoking, let's just say cigarettes, next it's going to be weed, and then it's, you know, it's going to be much more, right? Let's go into opiates and other drugs, uh, or alcohol, or whatever, you know, or zina. If you're texting someone, a lot of people need to hear this because they think, oh, it's not, they'd like to scapegoat. It's you. If you've been habitually speaking to the opposite sex in a manner that is flirtatious, that's inappropriate, and you are crossing the line, that is not a shaitan, that is you. You like it, you enjoy the attention, you, uh, you know, for whatever, we're all weak to those things, we understand, but you're enjoying it too much. And so you can't, you know, scapegoat Iblis. If though, Iblis comes and says, hey, instead of just texting, how about, you know, let's take it up a notch, right? Let's, let's have that phone call or that first meeting, you know, in a private space. Now you know he's on the attack because he's seeing, and a lot of young people, you know, they, they, they're not aware because they give into their emotions and, you know, they get caught up in it. But all of those thoughts that it feels good and it's all, you know, it's, it, wow, how could this be wrong? It just feels so right. Those are from Iblis. This is what he does, right? There's a few tactics of his that we should know. He definitely does that where he uses our sensory, weak, you know, uh, selves or our weaknesses to get us to fall further in sin. But he also gives us the, you know, the victim mindset. And the victim mindset is constantly, is to suppress us so that we have no hope, that we fall into despair. If you cross, for example, if you commit zina, many people do this and it's from Iblis. They think I'm done, you know, I'm spoiled. What's the big deal? I might as well keep doing it. And that's from Iblis because he, what he, he's doing is he's torn you down and made you feel like you're ruined. We don't have that concept of Islam at all. Uh, Allahu Akbar, because our deen is so beautiful. But Allah, if he can, that's why the hadith of the man who killed, you know, 99 and then 100 is such an important hadith for us to reflect on. He's teaching us that even someone that corrupt, in modern context, probably the most, you know, reviled 
human on, on the planet is someone who mass murders people, right? Um, but if Allah can forgive and give hope to someone like that, why do you think that your sins and this deed that you did and that harsh word that you said, a lot of people carry so much guilt in their hearts, but all of that is to destroy their bond with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that they don't even come to the prayer rug anymore. Like, why come to the prayer rug? Allah's done with me. I'm going to go to Jahannam. Awadu billah. Who are you to uh, limit the, the mercy of God? Don't do that. And know that that's a shaitanic thought. And rise and know, look at the, the mercy of your deen, your Lord, who's constantly reminding you, you know, to come, to come to me. My mercy prevails over my, my wrath. So many messages, subhanAllah. SubhanAllah, that is so interesting because that's a, that's such a good question because a lot of people, you know, a lot of people were posting memes in Ramadan. They were making like like light of it, of the fact that like shaitan is locked up, but you're still doing the things that are obviously sinful. So who's to blame here? It's clearly not shaitan anymore. It's you. And I think that's like a hard truth to face. It really is. And I think that's why a lot of people possibly struggle during Ramadan because they kind of had to face their true selves and understand that like, wow, I used to always put this blame on the shaitan. I used to always think it was the shaitan. And, but really it's you, it's your own self that you have to hold yourself accountable for the reasons why you're still committing sins. And I think this is a question that we always get asked and I've heard it oftentimes, but if you're committing the same sin, Hasai, how many times should you ask and seek Allah for forgiveness? I mean, for me personally, what I feel is like, I'll always seek Allah's forgiveness, but it's like, to what extent do you keep asking Allah for forgiveness? And then when, when do you finally decide to work on this sin? And how can you work on this sin that keeps reoccurring? That's, I guess, has become a habit now. You know, there's a great story. I wish I had it on hand so I could read it to you or remember the exact details of it. But there's an, it's a question that someone posed to one of the great uh, scholars, or maybe it was a, a hadith, I'm not sure. But it is it is exact question. Like, at what point do I stop? You know, I've sinned so much. But the moral of that story was, you know, you keep asking, you don't stop. And, and you should become worried as soon as you stop asking, right? Because we, we're sinners, we are, we're, we're going to fall. And if we're weak to something and our jihad is strong, uh, you know, with that thing, but we try and then we fall. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewards us for those efforts of trying, right? And then that's why he leaves the door of mercy is that if you tried but you fell and you still come back to me. The reason why it's so beautiful is because it's called, you know, when you are returning to Allah, despite being in that constant sinful state, what you're doing is you're reaffirming your belief in his mercy more than you are, you know, focusing on your sin. And that's what he loves is that you are not letting disbelief enter your heart or weakness of faith enter your heart, but rather you're saying, Ya Allah, you are greater than me. And even though I'm this, wretched soul and I'm sinful and I do all of this, your mercy is so great that I keep coming to you. And that's why that, you know, the hadith of the two men on the day of judgment, you know, who are walking, Allah commands both of them to go because they're both sinners in this world. And he commands both of them to go to the hellfire. One of them is walking very slowly and the other is running. And so Allah, of course, he knows better, but he sends the angels to ask both of them, like, why are you doing that? You know, so the one who walk walking slowly, he says, you know, I know I'm sinful, but I'm hopeful that Allah will forgive me even now. Even though he's been ordered to, to go to Jahannam, he still had faith in Allah on that day that he, Allah could forgive him. And because of that iman, Allah grants him Jannah. Imagine a complete sinner. Right. But why? Because he, he's showing to Allah, like, even now, I believe in your rahmah more than myself. And then the other one who's running, he says, I was so afraid of disappointing you because I've already angered you. I didn't want to 
in any way anger you more. So his Iman is showing, right? Like it's faith. Both of them have faith. And yes, for some people, it's like, wow, really late to the to the game here. <laughs> but but in the mercy of Allah, it wasn't, it was beautiful. And that's why we know these hadith. Why, you know, the thing is, I always like to tell people, think about 1400 years of what it would take to preserve knowledge, you know, for so long. And we have a vast amount of knowledge, but the messages that we constantly hear, like these hadith, the man who killed 99 and so many others, the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserved it for us in this day and age, Allahu Akbar, because he knows we're going to be bombarded, right? With so many negative messages and so much sin and so much temptation around us. He wants to give us hope, but we, you know, the Prophet said, the deen is easy. We're the ones that make it difficult. We're the ones that impose, you know, these constrictions and restrictions on God and his mercy and also deprive ourselves of his mercy because we're not, again, clear on how do I tell when I'm being spiritually attacked or these thoughts are just coming from my own weakness, you know, uh, nafs and shit. It's so important that we know how to do that because you can, you should be able to recognize immediately when you, when Iblis is coming to you. And any message that tells you you're not good enough, you're bad, you're, uh, you know, sinful, you're disgusting, any loathsome words, 100% Iblis. Whereas the words that are like encouraging, like get up, yeah, you did this 100 times get up. Allah is more, more merciful. That's inshallah from the angelic realm. And maybe even Allah himself is directing you back to him. There's four known enemies that we have. And I read upon it. It's one of them being our nafs. The other one being the dunya. I mean, look at the world that we live in today. It's just so corrupt and so crazy. The other one is desires. And the last one, of course, is shaitan. And that's the, our one enemy that we have to definitely overcome time over time. And I think when it comes to asking for forgiveness more than once, I think there's also some limits to that. You can't knowingly sin and then like but later on i'm just gonna ask Allah for forgiveness and it's okay but right now i'm gonna commit the sin but because no matter what Allah's forgiving all forgiving no that's not how it works and i think that's where we get confused and how many times should we ask Allah for forgiveness at the end of the day what really matters is just you putting in the work as well but what are you doing to show all of that you're also doing the work not only are you asking Allah to do the work of forgiving you but what work are you doing on your end to have Allah forgive you to be worthy of his forgiveness you know exactly and we mentioned in previous episodes we see guilt as a bad thing but really it's a blessing in disguise if you're feeling that guilt that's Allah trying to pull you closer but you have to act on that guilt you have to take the next step you can't just oh I'm guilty that I didn't pray Fajr today no wake up tomorrow morning pray Fajr and make it a habit you have to actually act on that guilty uh that guilty feeling can we talk about Hasai the many other ways that our nafs can actually prevent us from connecting to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because that's how dangerous it could be that it could truly just move you more and more and distance you away from Allah and you might not even knowingly know that that's happening honestly sometimes you know a year later you're like oh my god I used to be so connected to Allah where am I now I don't even pray anymore how did this happen you know sometimes it's almost like you wake up from a nightmare and be like I was a good Muslim now what what, what has happened to me Right. No, it's a very good question. And we should we should know, again, the tricks of shaitan and also the tricks of our own nafs. The nafs is by nature, it's it's lazy. OK, so at any time you're pulled away and, uh, you know, procrastination is a clear sign of the nafs. Uh, the nafs likes to encourage you to delay things because it knows that you will eventually forget. Or, you know, you won't want to do it later because maybe you have the himma or the, you know, the desire, the ambition to do something in the moment. But later, 
it will, you know, it'll fizzle, right? And suddenly you're like, ah, forget it. How many people have done that? How many people have thought I'm going to read a Quran today or I'm going to really, you know, fast tomorrow? And then they wake up and they're like, ah, forget it. I didn't do this and that. So you have to know that the nafs will always, you know, make you want to do things later. So pay attention to that procrastinating side of you. You know, there's a book that I, uh, our teachers recommended it to us. I think it's a very great book to read because it kind of shows you, and it's it's written by C.S. Lewis, the, the author who wrote the Narnia series so many people know him but it's called the screw tape letters and what this book is is it's actually a conversation between iblis and one of his agents or minion you know minion shayateen and and they're talking about the strategy that they both uh, you know are using to break down the different human beings that you know that that or i don't know if he calls them clients i can't remember but he call it refers to us as you know in these terms so I think it's important to see how they work together because Iblis and the Nafs absolutely are like buddies. You know, they, yeah. they work together to bring us down. And that's why taking control of the Nafs is so important. And the way we do that is, again, by making sure we don't always indulge it. Look at the instant gratification world we live in today. You can have anything you want pretty much at the, you know, in your, in your hands, you just dial a few numbers, whether it's a website or an app or a phone number, and you can have something at your door within, you know, the hour. Um, we live in a world where there's too much access to indulgence. And so we have to step back and say, if I want to weaken my nafs, I have to learn to train it, you know, to command it. And so I can't always indulge in every craving or every temptation I, I have. And so even, for example, like I, I focused a lot during the pandemic on people using their time. We got, we had a windfall of time. If we're not aware of what a blessing that is, I mean, how tragic, right? Because Allah's put us, uh, most of us, you know, didn't have to work outside of our homes. We could work from our homes. We're with our families. So we have all this ample time to read, to study, to learn, to go back to the basics, to kind of, again, you know, work on ourselves. But if you're going to spend all day watching Netflix or listening to like, you know, just garbage lyrics that really do nothing for you, but it's, it was basically a People thought that, hey, I have all this time now. Let me just indulge in everything that I want to do, my base desires. And that's actually the worst thing you can do because you're literally feeding it so that by the time we're coming out of this pandemic, you have people who are now complete slaves to their nuts and they're going to likely have an even greater jihad. So the answer to how you you know, control the nuts or how you know the nuts' tricks is to always pay attention to anything that takes you away from the remembrance of Allah, that it leads you to procrastinate good goals and objectives, and that is always making you want to indulge in, in your base carnal desires. That is so true. Honestly, I think sometimes we just don't realize the things that we're doing every single day. We think they're harmless in the moment. But if you think about it, if you keep doing this over and over again, you're just building upon this desire to just basically take take over you. And it's you just don't think of that. Like, there's a lot of things that we've indulged in within this pandemic. I mean, honestly, you could have used it as a blessing or you could use it to just for your downfall. So it's it's up to you. Again, it's all about taking accountability. Does this go hand in hand with our hearts and our intentions? Because I think that's something that, you know, I feel like deep down, everybody's a good person. Everybody wants to do good. But why are, are we sometimes, you know, our, our intentions are not as pure as we want them to be? Why is there sometimes a conflict with our intentions when we're trying to do good and trying to do better, but we, we still fall short at times? How does that work? 
That's a great question. That's why it's so important that people look into the, uh, you know, the, the text. For, I mean, the text that I use and I teach from is the purification of the heart. We have to understand the diseases of the heart, that we all are susceptible to diseases of the heart. And just to mention what Zena's, you know, earlier analogy, and I use this all the time, I actually just, you know, did a whole class on the analogy between, or the comparison, excuse me, between the physical heart and the spiritual heart. The physical heart, we know because we understand modern science and medicine, it teaches us that if you eat a certain way, a diet, and you don't exercise, you have a certain lifestyle, smoking, drinking, all this stuff, you will literally damage your physical heart and prevent it from working the way that it's supposed to work. The same with the spiritual heart. If you're not aware of the diseases of the heart and how we're susceptible and how they can come in and enter the heart, the inroads, as we call them, to the heart, and then how to free yourself or cleanse yourself from those diseases, then yes, your intentions will be mixed. You'll have these constantly, you know, difficult, uh, you know, internal uh, challenges of, of what should I do this or should I do that? Because you're you don't have you're dealing with a spiritual heart that's not working correctly. It's not cleansed. So you know, for example, and I'll just because I have the text in front of me, I'll read. From, you know, there's 25 diseases of the heart. But let's just look at the list because people need to understand how common these are. Miserliness, wantonness, hatred, iniquity, love of the world, envy, blameworthy modesty, fantasizing, fear of poverty, ostentation, which is showing off, relying on other than God, displeasure with the divine decree, seeking reputation, uh, right? Everybody wants to be an influencer. Yep. <laughs> False hopes, <laughs> negative thoughts, vanity, fraud, anger, heedlessness, rancor, boasting and arrogance, displeasure with blame. You can't take criticism, right? Antipathy toward death, obliviousness to blessings. But all of these, all of us have them to a certain degree. We all have them. And this is why, again, I love our dean because it's basically saying we're all, there's an equalizing message here. We're all the same. We're all, you know, have the same uh, diseases of the heart or potential to have these diseases. But the ones who, the, the, the Allah subhanahu wa calls them the sabakun, right? The sabakun are the forerunners. They're the ones who are always ahead, who are thinking ahead. And they're successful, right? Because they're they're aware of what's going on. So this is the problem is that, most people aren't even aware of these things. They're not even aware that there are these 25 diseases of the heart. And then they're struggling so much to spiritually be the sort of construct they have in their mind about the ideal Muslim. But they're not realizing if you don't do this, it's kind of like I'm sure physical trainers get understand this very well because they see people who go to the gym, right, for years. And they are they, there's all these memes about them. But they're working out, working out, working, and nothing changes. They're the same size, the same, you know, muscle mass, everything, because they're not working smart. They're working hard, but they're not working smart. So when you study the diseases of the heart and you actually understand from a spiritual lens what the limitations of the human being are, what the obstacles in front of us are to spiritually grow, and how to avoid them and how to overcome them, you will just continue to struggle spiritually. You have to go back to the basics. But it's on us, you know, as a community. Like I, I just taught in, in Ramadan a youth class on purification of the heart because I said, why are we waiting for people to become adults, you know, and doing this study? They should be learning it when they're, and they should traditionally, kids were learning these things. Yes. They weren't waiting for them to become actualized adults because people don't realize the nafs is empowered in that pre-adolescent to adolescent, you know, that stage is about 10 years when you're growing through adolescence between, you know, onset and then the end of adolescence, 10 year growth. That is when we really become our nafs is just like super defined. So if you're not giving it tools to help it understand, you know, and, and spiritually have, um, you know, 
like the toolkits necessary to uh, to deal with uh, afterwards, you're limiting uh, yourself. But many of us, unfortunately, we didn't have that. You know, we didn't have that education until later on. And we've already developed bad habits, vices, you know, things that we are very hard to overcome. Well, imagine if we give children this these toolkits early on and said, be careful, because I like with my children, I I taught them very early on the word addiction. Like, for example, people are like, well, I'm like, yeah, I want them to not know that human beings are susceptible to addictive behaviors. And I'm not talking about just alcohol and drugs, but addictive behaviors are bad habits, right? Habits that we habituate to or creatures of habit. If children don't understand that and really watch out, like if you keep doing that, you realize you're going to have that bad habit, just like, you know, biting your nails. If you keep, you know, doing that, It'll be a lifelong habit, right? Yes. And so you have to explain to children spiritually we have the same issue, you know, uh, understanding that this, the nafs will habituate you to, for example, waking up, having a really hard time with, with waking up for fudger. Why do people struggle with fudger? Likely because you've fallen into a very bad habit where you're sleeping way too late, staying up all night watching YouTube videos or Netflix. You know, it's not fudger. Don't blame fudger. It's your habit of not sleeping enough so that you prioritize your prayers, you see? Exactly. There's a purpose why Fajr is at the time that it's at because it really truly shows your devotion to Allah, but it also shows how are you living your day to day to to basically do these things that Allah has required you to do. What are things that are getting in the way of you worshiping Allah? Because it's not the things that Allah is asking of you that's getting in the way of your life. It's your life getting in the way of what Allah yeah. is asking you to do technically. Because that's something a lot of people do struggle with this Fajr. Like, oh, why does it have to be in the middle of the night and whatnot? No, why are you sleeping at 1 a.m.? That's that's a better question, you know? That's a good point. I I feel yeah. like you have to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you have to be really self-aware to figure out, okay, these are my bad habits. You know, this is one of the diseases of the heart that has taken over me, whether it's jealousy or vanity or whatever it may be. And I think that when other people point out our bad habits, they point out our flaws. Like you said, we take them defensively. We're like, what are you talking about? I'm not addicted to that. What are you talking about? Like, I'm not, you know, vain. And how do we, how do we teach ourselves to take that criticism or see our own faults the way as they are? I love that. Such a great question. And you know, one of the other topics that I talk, I teach about very frequently is emotional intelligence. And so the very first quality of emotional intelligent people is they're very self-aware. They don't need for someone else to come out and point their flaws. They'll tell you right off the bat, oh, I'll, I can list them all for you and, and add more to the, whatever list you come up with because they're honest with themselves. So people, you know, we just have to remember to be honest with ourselves that you can't hide from Allah. And it's it's complete delusion if you think that, you know, putting on airs uh, and a mask in front of people, you could do that with your Lord. He knows who you are. So if you, you know, Nobody's asking you to air out your you know, dirty laundry and tell people, and we shouldn't do that. We should never talk about our sins and bad habits uh, in front of people. This is a very spiritual internal process between you and your Lord. So if you can't be vulnerable enough with him, that's a, a problem. You definitely need to work on that. But I think studying emotional intelligence is very key. Again, I've done several talks on it. And I'm, I'm actually doing a series now where I'm trying to bring in the Islamic perspective of a lot of concepts that we're that are popular in modern psychology, so that people can see our deen has been very, it's in, it's rich with with so much insight. And if we only valued the messages of our deen, we would see so much growth. But emotional intelligence, yes, yeah, self awareness, and then you have self regulation, which is what we're talking about as far as tasqiyat and nafs and purification of the heart. And then you have uh, motivation, uh, you have empathy and social skills. Those are the five qualities of emotional intelligence. And so if you actually study that as a framework, I highly encourage people, if you want to start somewhere, 
look at that framework of emotional intelligence. And then, you know, you're free to, uh, I have a lot of content that kind of helps to bring in the Islamic perspective. On my website, I have a whole page of published works, videos that are, um, that I've done classes on this, and I'm planning to do more. But I really, my, my point is, because I see the, the struggles of so many people, and wallahi, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because I see Iblis is winning. You know, he's, he's spiritually attacking my brothers and sisters. And I'm like, no, you're strong. Allah yes. believes in you. You know, you can do it. No, and it, it's not about how much knowledge you have, how much you've memorized, how much Arabic, you know, no, it's a matter of your heart and how much you yearn for Allah. And we can all have the same, you just, like you said, you know, be accountable, put in the work and you'll see success. But these models will help you to uh, to become more okay with again admitting your faults to to you know Zaina's question about being you know uh, having a, a challenge taking criticism. If you start to do this as a yourself, you know, like you're not waiting around for that, you will just naturally see the benefits of it because it's like you're finally prioritizing your spiritual health. The same way a person who's maybe been a binge drinker or, you know, had alcohol or, I mean, um, an addiction to alcohol or drugs or maybe food or whatever other addictions they have or gambling, they suddenly start to take charge, right? And they commit to themselves to a program, like a 12-step. When you do that, what happens is you're empowered, like I can do this and a lot of people succeed. So we need to create systems and encourage people that no matter what you're at, this is these our dean offers practical steps that are easy to implement. And Allah's doors always open. You can do this and empower people to do it. And once you put them on that track, I promise you it'll get easier. They'll start and you'll see it because we used to like, and my friends, for example, because, you know, Alhamdulillah, we've been blessed to have access to our teachers who taught us as many years ago. But we used to actually get together. Can you imagine getting together with your girlfriends? And we would do this exercise where we would be like, okay, tell me all my flaws. Like, what do you think are the biggest flaws that I have? But we were totally in agreement. Like we had to do this. And of course you don't, you do it with people who really know you, right? Yeah. Your siblings or your spouse, maybe if you don't think it's going to cause more problems for you, <laughs> but like your, your bestie, but someone that you're really close with and who you know, you trust like you, your life with, right? Because this is what it is about. You're talking about your akhirah. You're talking about your soul in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you should be able to do this for your friend and they should do it for you where you just say, just be honest with me. And be willing to hear. And of course, we should, you know, do it with kitty gloves. Be subtle, but you could say, well, I think, you know, that, but we used to do that 20 years ago, subhanAllah. And it helps you because you're like, you know what? You're a good friend, man. You told me something that I can work on. And now I realize like, oh, I do have that, you know, problem sheesh. I, I never realized it before or my nafs deluded me to think I didn't have that. And now I can work on it. So that's, you know, a, a very special caliber of, of a, a person that you can do that with. But if you have someone like that, I encourage you to do that. If not, just go be real with yourself. Go, sit down and be like, okay, what's the common denominator of complaints I've heard my whole life from everybody? My mom, my dad, my sisters, my friends, my coworkers. What have they always told me that I need to work on? Is it my am I impatient? Do I have a temper? Do I speak foully? Whatever it is, and then just start from there. But be honest. You have to be honest with yourself, and nobody's perfect. Allah, subhanAllah, we know this. We know this for a fact. Allah did not create us perfectly. If He if He created us perfectly, we wouldn't be worshiping Him. Subhanallah. Like the reason why we worship Allah, why we seek Allah, is because we know we have flaws and we want to better ourselves. That's the whole purpose of us being created. And subhanAllah, like I think it's great to have friends who hold you accountable. You don't want friends these days that are just inflate your ego even more. That's actually not good. That's basically they're feeding your nafs as well. Not only are you feeding your nafs, but your friends are as well. And I think it happens a lot on social media because it's so easy for us to share a selfie and everybody just basically sends you all their love underneath the cap yeah. underneath the picture with captions. And it's just like you get your ego does become inflated. So you want and you want to be in a friend's 
group that you are all trying to be better. That's the whole purpose. I think another thing that we also have to work on is becoming more God conscious. Like what are things that we can do daily that we can think of Allah? Like I started practicing dhikr. This is something that I know all Muslims, you know, we, we are supposed to be doing this. It's, it's great. But when can I implement it during my day that I know it's part of my schedule? That's it. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like it's part of my schedule. Just like how you're at work and you know your schedule from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. You know exactly what you're doing. So I think these are the little things that we can do. Um, what are your thoughts on becoming more God conscious before we ended on just our nafs and our mental health? Great, great questions, mashallah. I wanted to share a couple of reflections as you were talking. The first thing about friendships is so important. Uh, again, I like to use an analogy because people need to understand that the, you know, the Prophet told us that the believers are mirrors for each other, right? And so I like that that wording of the mirror. And I and I started thinking, I said, you know, there's different types of mirrors. If you look around our world, we have different mirrors that reflect differently to us, right? And I'll just give you for an example, the mirror on the side of your car door, right? Objects appear bigger than they are, you know, appear or look at uh, than they are. And then the mirror in, uh, in a fun house like Carnival, right? It's all weird and right. And then you have a gas station foggy mirror that's like, what is this? And then you have mirrors, mirrors like in, in Nordstrom's, right? That people don't realize are angled with amazing lighting. They've studied this to make you look sleeker and thinner and mm -hmm. taller so that you buy that dress that you later go, what is this, right? Yeah. Um, but there's <laughs> so true. So, and then you have, and I know you all have it, we all have it, every woman I think has it, but you have those terrible magnifying mirrors where you're, you know, used to plug or to do whatever you do you're, that you're like oh my god my pores are ginormous right and they're obviously intended to make you distort certain things uh, disproportionately for a reason but the point is you want to look at every single pe person in your life as a different mirror that is going to reflect differently to you you're going to have some that make you look so amazing that you're like oh i'm perfect and then you have you know that's the nordstrom mirror and then you have those who are because of their own distortions you know and that's why you got to take it you know don't fall for everything you hear from people because they might have a distorted lens that they're looking at you with so if you buy it it's like that funhouse crazy mirror yeah. don't think you're you know what i mean or the the gas station mirror which is foggy and it, you're you know your lack of understanding on something and then that magnifying mirror that's to uh, magnify your pores and your blemishes there are people who love to do that they love to pick on people and make them feel horrible about themselves so you just want to look at all people like you know what there's way too many different types of mirrors out there i am not going to look at anybody to determine my self-worth or who i am i look to allah and how do i know if i'm crystal clear in the sight of allah i check myself and I say in every situation, we always remember, and there's certain things you can do to, in, to create a sense of more God consciousness. Always, always, there's certain things. Bismillah before you do anything. You have to be in the practice of saying Bismillah. Also in the Quran, we're told, do not ever do anything or plan anything without invoking, saying the words, inshallah. We have to say these sincerely. You can't just say it like the Muslim inshallah, like, oh, I'll be there. No, no, just like inshallah. Like my husband, when he used to travel, he would sometimes be like, don't worry, everything will be fine. And I'd be waiting, like, you better say it. And then he <laughs> yeah. would know, inshallah. He says like, don't, you know, you have to remember, we are in literally the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if he wants to, he can move us this way or that way. And the more we confirm our faith that we are aware of his presence by saying these things, we you will see the benefits of that. And then as you said, Dikin, you know, the prayers, the five prayers are spanned out and they're to constantly reorient us. And that's more like a debt we owe to Allah for existence. So you want to look at your prayers like I have to do it no matter what. That those are non-negotiables, right? The dhikrs and the adhkar that you do and the du'as that you do, the daily du'as that you're you know, following in the footsteps of the Prophet are again because Allah subhanahu knows how incredibly weak and forgetful we are. You know, the word insan comes from the Arabic nisyan, which is forgetful. We are 
perpetually forgetful. So throughout the day, if you, even if prayers, I mean, Fajr and Dhuhr are sometimes six, seven, eight hours apart. So you got eight hours, you can do a lot in eight hours. You know what I'm saying? So you have to come back and say, well, how can I prevent myself from falling in those eight hours? I will commit to a dhikr. And so our scholars have taught us there's something called a, a wird or a rad, which are a group. It's like a formulaic set of, set of prayers, all based on the sunnah. All of them, most of them are protective du'as. Uh, so there's one um, that's called Al-Wird Al-Latif, and that's L-A-T-I-F. You can look them up on Google, YouTube. There's audio recordings of it. It's about 18 minutes long. I would highly encourage everybody to commit to that on a daily basis because there are things in that that we don't even think about. For example, who thinks about asking Allah to prevent me from debt? Nobody's waking up thinking about like that. But imagine you're actively asking Allah to protect me from debt, protect me from falling and tripping. Like people don't think like humiliation in public settings has been the cause of suicide. People have literally taken their own lives because they've been humiliated. And now with social media and access to tele, you know, phones where people can literally take a most vulnerable moment of your life and ruin you, um, you have to be so uh, like grateful that we have da that we're asking Allah, please protect me from, from being humiliated, from being exposed. You know, so there's a lot of powerful du'as that, again, our deen is so rich with. It's all to protect us. And so we have to, you know, use those. And that's how you start becoming more God conscious. And then, of course, the, the company you keep. Be around people who remind you of Allah. Be around people who check in with you spiritually. How are you doing? Have you, you know, uh, do, if you have, like, I, I have friends, for example, we, we're now doing out of, after Ramadan, we're committing to doing a khatam every month with each other, where we set, we divide portions, you know, like let's do a certain readings, five or six, seven, however many friends you have, just do that. And look how great you'll feel at the end of the month that you did a group khatam for the year, you know, instead of waiting for Ramadan, some people, that's the only time they do it, right? That is, that's incredible. Those are all great reminders. And I think I'm going to start implementing all of those into my life. Cause it's, it's funny, you know, we try to stay on schedule with like our work stuff. Like I have so many reminders set up on my phone, like at 12 PM, you have to do this at 2 PM, you have to do this. But when it comes to Salah, like I have my app, you know, and, and it reminds me, but sometimes I'll be like, okay, like I'm busy right now. Let me just swipe the, the notification away. Like, how do I make it that important, just as important I, as I am when it comes to work? And I think that's something that I need to work on. And that's exactly what Hasai covered, which is amazing. And I think sometimes we also have to slow it down a bit when we are speaking to Allah and when we are worshiping. I think that's something that I am reflecting upon myself. I think we rush through our prayers when it's like you want it to really sink in within your body. You want it to flow. Everything that you're reciting, everything that you're saying, you want it to really sink in. But, you know, we finished our prayer before it even went down our throats. Like it's still the tip of our tongues, these verses that we're reciting during our prayers. SubhanAllah, all, everything that you've given us, all, all this advice, it's really, really, it's just eye-opening because it's, it's nice to see things from a different perspective. And I think sometimes we have to realize we are not immune to hardship. So yes, it's important to make these du'as just because you're not going through it. And we say this time and time again, just because you're not going through something doesn't mean that you shouldn't seek Allah and seek His guidance and why not even just be grateful. Be grateful that you're not going through A through Z. You know what I mean? If you're going throughout your day and you, you didn't feel like you went through a, a major hardship, SubhanAllah, like thank God go to bed thanking God and wake up and thank God that's something that we also have to fit into our schedule our worldly schedule I want to end it on you know talking about how can our worldly desires affect our mental health I don't think we think about that too often I think you know when we become depressive or anxious and whatnot sometimes we don't know the root of that and it sometimes could be because of our habitual behaviors so can we talk about 
that and end it on that note because I think that's a super important topic that I know a lot of people are struggling with in, in the, at the moment. Absolutely. And it's a very good question because, you know, uh, there is increasing uh, a rise of, of a lot of mental health problems in our world. Uh, people are suffering through a lot of different things. And, you know, there are certainly those cases that need to be treated from the mental health with mental health experts. But then there's also people who are suffering spiritual depression. And, and that has to do with, again, they're being attacked by Iblis and they need to really take an assessment of their lifestyle, their choices, their behaviors. Um, what groups, you know, what, what's influencing them, all the things we've talked about and covered, you know, and, uh, you know, do some cleaning up because it's likely that they are, again, uh, suffering those th that state because at least his, his uh, modus operandi is to, as I said earlier, destroy our spiritual connection to Allah's path. And he could do that in a multitude of ways, but one of the ways is to isolate, to depress, to make someone fall into despair. So they're kind of classic signs of depression, right? As a person who is depressed and going through something uh, basically incapacitated Capacitates them, that makes them not want to um, go to work, go to school, not want to engage with people. They just want to sleep all day. Uh, a lot of those people, yes, as I said, they could have classic depression symptoms that need to be treated medically, or it could be that shaitan has made them feel that they are just so bad because of something that they've done or that they, you know, they look at the measure of, or they compare themselves. For example, there's so many sisters I know who aren't married and they feel that there's some inadequacy in them because they haven't been married yet. And then they're seeing all their friends and sisters and cousins marry. So then Shaitan will come and just, you know, attack and make them feel like, yeah, there's something wrong with you. You're flawed. And so he'll pull them down. It's because Again, what I was saying earlier, there may be, they might not have clarity on the way that the design element of this dunya. This dunya is not a place that there's guarantees in. So if you're clear on that, like nobody was born with this, you know, certificate that said you're going to have everything the way you want it, you know, and you're going to have that perfect life. Nobody was born with that. But if we're not, can, we don't empower people to know that this is a place of tribulation and be ready for it. But rather we live up, we live in dreams and fairy tales and we just constantly, you know, push that on people, then they're going to have a very false narrative about what to expect in this world. And shaitan will capitalize on that because it's like, well, look at you. You're not, you don't have kids. You don't have a husband. You're, there's something wrong with you. But if a person steps back and says, you know what? Allah is the one who distributes everything. And if he didn't will this for me at this time, there's a greater wisdom. And I defer to his wisdom more than I defer to my want because he knows what's better for me. Maybe. And that's why the story of Khidr and Musa is so important because maybe Maybe if I did achieve those things, I would be very far from Allah. Maybe my husband or my children or my wealth, uh, my education, you know, my status would take me away from Allah. So he's withholding those things from me because he knows my nature better. And instead of letting shaitan make me feel worthless, I have to just say, surrendering to Allah, the true measure of a person's faith. Because remember, the munafiq, the hypocrite, it says that they're Muslim, right? What differentiates the hypocrite from the believer? It's the true sincerity of their faith. So a lot of us can say things on our tongue, but the true measure of a person's faith is not how well you receive the blessings of your life. It's how well you handle and you surrender to God's decree for you. That's the measure of your faith.
Subhanallah, that is so, so true. Because, I mean, this isn't a far stretch because I know a lot of women that, you know, you. I think because we have so much access now to everybody else's life and everybody else's blessings, because of course we only put our best foot forward. It, that's when we really feel down and out. But it's just like, you have to understand if Allah didn't will something for you, he's the only, Allah is the only higher being that knows us in our entirety. We sometimes don't even know ourselves. Like, subhanAllah, we're living inside of our bodies and we don't even know ourselves. We're still, every day we're saying, we're growing I'm, I'm becoming this person that person but it's Allah who knows us in our entirety in our past present and future so it's mm -hmm. like you have to truly if you really if you want to pray staccata you want to make dua you want Allah to bless you you have to believe in whatever Allah has willed for you you have to accept it that's the thing we have to be if you want to be a true woman you have to accept everything that comes into your life from Allah's will that's the thing and I think a lot of times we bring ourselves down because we think we you know it's it's, it's a shortcoming of ours why we're not married or why we didn't graduate or whatever sometimes it's true it's what Allah didn't will for you there's there's reasons there's a lot of hidden things that Allah that we'll never be able to know we're, we're just not Allah didn't create, create us to be capable to understand all of the mysteries of the world it's only Allah that's the higher being that understands all the mysteries of the world so subhanAllah I'm glad you brought that point to light because it's something that we know at the back of our mind but we keep it in the back of our mind we don't bring it to the forefront of our mind you know and just to add to that you know I think if people appreciate that this dunya is not the uh, end all, you know, that it, uh, what happens in this world doesn't really reflect anything. It's the next world that, that all the truths will come out. So you want to look at your true value, your true status with Allah. All of it is going to be determined on that day, not here. You know, what you do here certainly will contribute to how you fare there. But I think when you're looking at you know, just superficial, you know, again, accomplishments, goals, material possessions, things that people think that will increase them in status somehow in this world, those things are immaterial in Allah, right? It's really about your heart. And so a person could have nothing from a worldly place, but if they have that pure qalbun salim, that pure, beautiful heart, they are the wealthiest, the most successful, the richest of all people on the day of judgment. So that's what we should look at to determine how, what success is. But again, the the dunya, the dunya is so dangerous and it's why it's one of the diseases of the heart is because you start to let that inform you and that becomes the lens with which you see things. So you don't even see the spiritual and metaphysical lens anymore. You only see the material lens. And so, yeah, I don't have this, this and this, therefore I'm not good enough. No, who said that? Are you, a, 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 do you have good intentions? Do you ever will ill for people? There are people out there who are evil, pure evil. We see it. We see it right now, pure evil. There will evil for people. So do you think just because they have a wife and children or husband and wife and a dog and whatever, and a, a nice car and a nice house that, that you're, that they're better than you come on it's about what's in the heart so i think we just have to reassess our definition of success really that's incredible. Absolutely. Jose, you're an incredible teacher. You're a mental health advocate. You are a spiritual counselor, a mentor, and so, so much more. And you're somebody that a lot of us in our community look up to you. And because you're also a spiritual counselor, and honestly, this was a very healing session. And I really want to thank you for your efforts. And I want, inshallah, Ya Rab, Allah answers all of your du'as. Ya Rab, Allah rewards you for your good intentions and for every conversation that you've had with everybody inside throughout Ramadan and even outside of Ramadan and just all of your work that you've put out because it's not easy to be able to do this work and to put it out and to help heal these hearts of the of you know all those cre creations because you know it, it's 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 a lot of work and it takes a lot of self-reflection and I really really want to thank you for that because you have helped so many people I also want you to be able to share where people can you know find your resources find you online I know you said you had a website you also have social media as well so if you can just share your outlets and we will 
definitely make sure to tag all of these outlets in our episode notes as well, inshallah. You're so sweet. First, thank you so much for your very generous and sweet comments. Uh, and I mean, Wajmain, to all of your beautiful dogs, really. So it uh, really means a lot to me. Thank you. And I'm so honored to have uh, spent this hour and a half, maybe, or hour with you both. We lost um, time when it's good conversation <laughs> like this, honestly. Inshallah. Well, I hope to be able to uh, speak with you both again soon, inshallah. But for those who, uh, who are interested, I have a website that um, has a lot of my previous work on it. If you're interested, it's just my full name, hosaimajedidi.com. But I'm also on Facebook. I'm pretty active. And now because of the pandemic, I'm even more active on Instagram than ever before. So I do periodic lives on Instagram. Um, and sometimes occasionally I'll do it on Facebook. But so yeah, but I'm happy to hear from uh, people. And so just be patient with me, please, if you reached out or message, uh, because as you all know, there's so many sources of incoming messages nowadays, yes. that it's hard to keep up. So I always feel bad. Um, but if I will eventually try to respond to all the messages that I get. Um, but I'd love to hear from from people, inshallah. And all of your resources are on your website, right? Because I know yes. earlier in the conversation, you said there's a lot of plenty of videos. And re- that's amazing. Yes. Yeah, inshallah. It's great to have a hub of all this information. Oh, yeah. It's easy for people to be able to do it. So that's why I really, truly thank you. Honestly, I, inshallah, all the rewards you for all of your efforts. And this conversation was healing. And inshallah, inshallah, ya Rab, like this conversation truly helped people who are listening because I think this I is... You know, this is something we're all dealing with our nafs. This is something that we're never going to be able to detach ourselves from. And it's something that we have to continuously work on. And it's it's the work that, yeah, we need to put in, inshallah. I was say, that's why what you do is so vital and so important. So may Allah reward both of Likewise. you. Likewise. people Thank a platform so uh, to come and talk about really important things so may Allah reward you and give you continued tawfiq and so but I'm excited I, I looked at some of the stuff you have and some of the people they're dear friends of mine so I'm excited to go back and listen to your other podcasts and and I really may Allah reward you for your great efforts as well Honestly, yeah, thank you so and I always say we just provide the mic and Allah provides us the incredible woman to be able yeah. to come onto our podcast we just have to all always come together and just hold each other high because it's just there's so much abundance of information and a wealth of knowledge and let's just share with one another and let's make sure that we're not struggling alone because I think that's the saddest thing to struggle alone you know so inshallah we can be there for one another and i just want to thank you for somebody like you and so many other women that are just pillars in our community so thank you so much for say i can't wait for everybody to tune in and inshallah we see you once again inshallah we have another conversation thank you so much truly have a wonderful day ladies You know, I love that we talked about how what we consume and what we put into our hearts really affects who we are, what we do, what we think, and how we how we behave. You know, I think we're in a world where we're constantly over consuming everything. Every time we go on Instagram, we're taking in everything. Every time we turn on the TV, we're taking in everything. And we don't realize the impact that it has on our body and our soul and our hearts and our minds. Yeah, she said the same thing that you said, which is we overindulge. And we do. We overindulge you guys in a lot of things. I recently deactivated my Instagram, not the podcast one, but my personal one. And I didn't even notice. I'm oh, such a bad follower. <laughs> that was rude as hell. But again, who knows by the time we release this episode, if I'll still have it deactivated. It's like a drug. Like you still stick around and you still like, not stick around, you still find a way back in basically. But honestly, I just felt like there's just too much going on. And, and it's so true what you said. It's what we basically consume. And social media is one of those things. And I'm not bashing social media. It's just how much content is on social media. I don't think it's healthy to 
day in and day out being able to just consume all of that and i think it's really important that we take some time offline to enjoy our lives offline at times and to be able to you know again spiritually connect i feel like the more i am offline the more i am spiritually connected again this doesn't work for everybody some people feel more connected when they're online because they follow people that might give amazing lectures and there might be like pages that have a lot of islamic du'as and islamic content which is incredible so everybody should do what works for you but for me i felt like the more offline I am the more spiritually I am connected I actually did this about a year ago I don't know if you remember I just no I didn't I <laughs> well I temporarily deactivated my Instagram and I felt like I like you said I was reconnecting with Elamore I was spending more time with my family I was more present in what I was doing exactly. I felt like even my work was like more you know it was just better because I was more focused on that uh something that I think is beneficial once you do get on is just hit that block button girl like just hit it. block it's not whoever even blocking like, people because I enjoy the people I follow I think what I was more so saying is just it's just so much too much, much too much okay uh, I had a conversation before and you uh, I, for, uh, I forgot who it was but you and I had this conversation with somebody and we talked about how like when you're scrolling you're literally celebrating somebody's birthday then in two seconds you're celebrating somebody well not celebrating but like yeah celebrating somebody's wedding and then two seconds later you're witnessing somebody losing a loved one Mm -hmm. it's a lot of it's a lot of range of emotions within the few seconds that you're on and i think that's why sometimes it's okay to disconnect but again this isn't just even about social media when hussein was talking about like the heart being a vessel and what you put into your heart is what you pour out is that sometimes you know we react to things in an angry manner and again it's maybe because that's what's already inside of your heart so it's like how can we better our hearts how can we purify our hearts in that manner what can we feed it in order for us to think clearly when we are faced with hardships to to react in a better manner when we are again facing things that we're uncomfortable with or whatever i think that's such an important part that she talked about that really struck a chord with me and you can see it in the way that people react to the same situation like a flat tire on the side of the highway someone might be calm okay let's call AAA, while the other person like freaking out like oh my god i'm going to be late and all these negative thoughts are running through your head so i completely agree that what we put into our bodies it lives there and I think it weighs heavy on us and it's exactly what we put out there. Yeah, I I think, you know, let's all hold ourselves accountable. Let's do our best. Honestly, we're all trying our best. Again, it's not that you're not, you're a bad Muslim if you react in a certain way. Sometimes, you know, things really do get super heavy and it's okay. But if you find yourself that you're always on, like on edge or you're having all this anxious feelings and whatever, I feel like, you know, just dig a little bit deeper. Let's figure out what's, what's really going on. And I think that's something that I'm on a journey. That's the journey that I'm on right now. So inshallah khair, inshallah this episode has been of help to you guys again like we said initially when we started this episode uh we would hope to do this you know these little check-ins maybe bi-monthly or whatever no i hate saying <laughs> buy something i bet like every other month because i always confuse myself when i do that but you guys know what i mean so inshallah you guys enjoyed this episode we truly truly love you guys and you know the next date is coming up soon anyways yeah that's true yeah. wow time is flying by time is truly flying by take care of yourselves guys and take care of your families and we'll see you guys next week bye Thank you.